Permanent sterilization using a hysteroscopic technique was unique to the Ishur and Adiana systems. Both seem like a dream come true for many providers because it allowed patients to be offered a minimally invasive approach to contraception that was both non-hormonal and permanent. I remember when it was first introduced, it was marketed as this revolutionary treatment for permanent sterilization. The reason why this procedure gained popularity so fast was because it could be done in the office, transvaginal, with minimal to no downtime. Previously, permanent sterilization could only be offered either immediately after a vaginal delivery, C-section, or via laparoscopy or abdominal approach. All of these modalities could only access the fallopian tubes by entering the abdominal cavity meaning that there was a higher risk and greater downtime. Usually, after a vaginal delivery, the incision is done through the umbilicus. For my fellow gynecologists out there, I'm sure you will agree that this procedure was sometimes nerve-wracking because not all fallopian tubes could be easily identified, and sometimes you ran the risk of cutting something other than the fallopian tube. Thank goodness this was rare, but it did happen. I remember in those difficult cases, we always crossed our fingers and hoped that the pathology showed complete transection of the fallopian tube. So it's no wonder that many physicians jumped on the bandwagon and trusted that the manufacturer, Bayer, had done their due diligence by evaluating the efficacy and safety of this permanent contraceptive device. The truth is that no one understands how the FDA approval was granted with such low-quality data that overly relied on retrospective claims-based database analysis. There was a complete absence of adequate perspective comparative post-market data collection and analysis. Unfortunately, this is a trend that we see over and over again in many implantable devices. How do we know which ones we can trust? fellow clitizens, and welcome to another episode of Vaginius. I'm your host, Dr. Elena Rodriguez, board-certified gynecologist who loves to teach and operate. You can find all kinds of information, not just on this podcast, but also in my YouTube channel and my Instagram account. My goal is to help you decipher the world of medicine and make things simple and easy to understand. Recently, I had a case of a patient who presented with persistent abnormal bleeding and pelvic pain. She had a previous history of permanent sterilization with the Eshore coils, and although this device did successfully prevent pregnancy for her, she was miserable. Her imaging did not show any evidence of perforation, but her symptoms were that of a patient in a chronic inflammatory state. I wanted to make a commentary on the Eshore coils to bring awareness to those females who have been suffering in silence, not knowing of the ill effects that many patients have been reporting. I will admit that at some point in my career, I too fell into the trap of great marketing and what I thought was an amazing solution for my patients. As practitioners, we rely very heavily on the FDA to give us the green light. We trust that their stamp of approval means that these devices have undergone the rigorous trials that we expect for all medical devices. Ishur applied for approval in the category of Class 3 medical devices which according to the FDA are the highest risk devices and therefore subject to the highest level of regulatory control. Surprisingly, this class of device is shielded from most lawsuits because of a 2008 Supreme Court decision that makes it difficult for patients to sue 
in state court for devices that have received pre-market approval. The FDA fast-tracked eSure, stating that it offered significant advantages over existing approved devices. eSure was granted expedited approval with the exception that they would continue to monitor their patients long-term. eSure failed to monitor and at the same time incentivize physicians by paying more to place the eShore coils than using traditional surgical methods. Recently, there was a documentary that focused on medical devices and how they gain the FDA stamp of approval. It turns out that some devices can piggyback on the approval of other devices which have been used for similar purposes. The components of the eShore coil had been used in cardiovascular stents in the 80s, and there were already published results of failures with patients developing reactions to the metal implants like rashes, eczema, chronic inflammation, and chronic pain, all of which were among the adverse events reported by eShore women. In 2002, the eShore permanent birth control system was approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over 750,000 devices were sold worldwide. In 2009, the Adiana system for permanent contraception was approved by the FDA. Both eShore and Adiana utilized a hysteroscopic approach to visualize the tubal ostea and insert permanent device into the fallopian tubes to incite inflammation, leading to scar tissue formation and ultimately tubal blockage. However, as of 2019, neither device is in production. Adiana was removed in 2012 for patent infringement. Bayer, the manufacturer of Isure, then cited declining sales, likely in response to highly publicized litigation, withdrew their device from the marketplace in December of 2018. In recent years, the FDA received more than 16,000 adverse event reports about Isure including 9,000 surgical removals and counting. In 2011, Firmalino decided to start a Facebook to share her experience with her female friends called Eshore Problems. This Facebook page exploded with thousands of women sharing their adverse outcomes, and they eventually made their way into the FDA. Unfortunately, the black box warning did not come until Eshore had already been 14 years on the market. In 2016, the FDA added a black box warning stating that some patients with Eshore implants experience perforation of the uterus and or fallopian tubes, identification of inserts in the abdominal or pelvic cavity, persistent pain, and suspected allergic or hypersensitivity reactions. Then they updated their label warning to include irreversibility, the possibility of acute or persistent infection, post-procedure related to unsatisfactory device location or other causes, especially among patients with a history of pain, that additional surgery would be required to remove the coils if needed, and that patients with a known hypersensitivity to nickel, titanium, platinum, stainless steel, or polyethylene fiber may experience allergic reactions to the coil. In addition, the label advised that some patients could develop an allergy to nickel or other components of the insert following placement. The coils appear to be as successful at preventing pregnancy as laparoscopic approach. However, one of the drawbacks was that patients had to use a different contraceptive method for three months until it was proven that both fallopian tubes were blocked. For patients who did not have this three-month follow-up or who had unprotected intercourse prior to scar tissue formation, the rates of pregnancy were much higher. Short-term complications of this device appear to be due to poor placement, 
perforation, and need for repeat reinsertion. Long-term complications included menstrual dysfunction, pelvic pain, need for other gynecologic surgery, including removal of the fallopian tubes due to persistent bleeding and pelvic pain. Limited data exist on indications, optimal procedures, and outcomes for Escher coil removal, but the most common reason cited for removal is pelvic pain. This appears to be due to a local or systemic reaction to the device. The device is made of nickel and polyethylene terephthalate fibers. Other reasons for removal typically are once imaging shows malpositioning of the coil. So what are the outcomes once the coils are removed? Well, there's very limited information available about patient and symptom outcomes after Eshure removal. Most studies are very small, retrospective, and they lack a control arm. There was a retrospective cohort study of 73 patients. 40% of them reported complete symptom resolution following removal of the coils. Abdominal pain was the symptom prompting removal in 70% of these patients. 90% had coils removed laparoscopically. Another perspective observational study of 80 symptomatic patients in France undergoing laparoscopic removal of Eshore and both fallopian tubes measured health-related quality of life at baseline and at one, three, and six months after removal. Patients reported significant improvement in mental and physical components of quality of life at one month after removal, which was sustained at three and six months. Patients also reported significant improvement in the mean pain score at one month following surgery compared with baseline. So what is the moral of the story? As physicians, we need to be more diligent when it comes to automatically accepting the latest, greatest technology without question. We need to not be motivated by financial incentives for using a device over another that has long been proven to be effective. We need to not rely solely on the approval of the FDA without looking at the clinical data leading to the approval of the device. For patients, do not ignore your symptoms. If you're having unexplained symptoms like autoimmune issues, chronic inflammatory conditions like rashes and eczema, chronic abdominal pain or abnormal bleeding, do not immediately think that this is just your new normal. If you have had an implantable device, it could be that you are reacting to this device. Thousands of women have had recalls of breast implants or metal implants from hip replacements. Be diligent and observant of your body, and when in doubt, have an open and honest conversation with your physician about your issues. Eshure coils can be removed. Talk to your gynecologist if you're having any of the symptoms I mentioned above. Thank you so much for listening. Please share with anyone you think might benefit from this information. I would like to reference my trusted up-to-date article on hysteroscopic sterilization and Jennifer Block from the Washington Post for helping me with this podcast. Mm-hmm.